Welcome into other people's shoes. As you know, I am your host, Neil Matthews. Thank you so much for joining me today. Just want to say, super excited about today's episode. It is season finale day. And boy, do we have a treat for you. I don't want to give too much of the episode away, but I just want to say, I really enjoyed what took place and I believe you will as well. So give it a listen. Without further ado, Lucas, take it away. Hey, come take a walk with me. Not like you used to do something different. Open up your mind and open up your eyes and change your direction, change your perspective. Welcome into Other People's Shoes. As you know, I am your host, Neil Matthews. Thank you so much for joining us today. Super excited about our guest today. Now, here's the thing is I thought of all places we would find him in the Nashville area because, you know, that's where they go as artists, as creators, as innovators, as music icons. That's where they all hang out is is Nashville. Apparently not. Apparently we're in Idaho, which is okay because I don't actually think we've been to Idaho yet. So this is kind of like a two-part excitement. This, like we're in Idaho, we had to cross that off of our states that we're slowly crossing off the United States of places we've been in the United States. But now I get to talk to a high school friend of mine. Now let me let me set the stage for you. When I say friend, like we knew each other, we were more acquaintances. I was never cool enough to be in his circle. Let's be candid. I just wasn't. Like I was I was in the other lanes and he was in the main lane because he knew where he was going. And I believe even back then he might have had a purpose and a plan for where he was headed. Help me welcome him in. I have to say this. And, and I'm so excited to say it. He is the lead singer of the great band that you've maybe heard of. I don't know. Hopefully you have. Cutlass, John Micah Sumrall. How are you, sir? Good, man. How's it going? Good. As I said, like, I felt a little starstruck, but then I was like, wait, I ran with this guy in high school. Like, I stretched near him. I Probably not <laughs> near you, because like I said, you were in that lane. I was in another lane. But, man, just really excited you gave us some moments today. So help me with this before we get too far down the road, though, because I, I do have some things I, I want to discuss. You've been in my my earbuds and my AirPods and my Beats headphones the last couple of uh, weeks. Really, last, like, two weeks, really, maybe even longer. But I got I have this question to answer. I know you've, you know, being in Cutlass, you've probably been interviewed a number of times by, you know, big name people kind of feel in that category. So we're going to try to give our big name performance here. Hopefully <laughs> John, help us with this size shoes that you wear is what I knew this was coming. And this is where my wife and my friends would roll their eyes because I am a gearhead. And the problem with a gearhead is there is no straight answer. So if I am wearing normal shoes, <laughs> If I go to the store and buy a pair of shoes, typically it's a size 10. However, if I'm buying cleats, it's a size 9. If I'm wearing ski boots, it's a 27.5. Generally, however, if I want a tight performance fit, it's a 26.5. If I'm buying mountaineering boots or anything made in Europe, it's a Euro size. Typically, they're smaller. They tend to size it smaller. So it's generally a 44 in Euro size, sometimes a 43. Um, so there's a much too detailed... <laughs> Very complex answer uh, with asterisks attached to it. <laughs> I love the asterisks attached to it. That's fun stuff. No, I do. I love that. Because here's the thing. Like, I know for me, you know, as we've gotten older, because we're we're the same age, you know, I started wearing out 10 and a half, like Adidas. That's all I wore, you know, in those South Medford Panther days. Everything yeah. head to toe was Adidas. Rowan, actually, Coach Rowan came to me and was like, hey, Matthews, uh, you getting sponsored? I'm like, Coach, you've seen my times. That's it's not a, it's not <laughs> happening. I just made money this summer. So here's all my, you know, my gear. But on that, I can't wear a 10 and a half anymore. I have to almost wear an 11. It's It's very weird. If he got bigger, they had, I think they have. Yeah. And I don't know why. Yeah, I think I think I trended a little bit smaller. I used to wear ten and a halfs more, and then I more moved to tens. And I honestly, I think I just wore shoes that were a little bit big sometimes, probably more than I needed to. And then I realized that if you get a shoe that fits you better, you can go down a size and you have a more uniform fit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Nike shoes make their shoes small, I, I feel like. And so I've been wearing a lot of Jordans, you know, in the later years, because now I have, you know, I won't say I have a lot of money, but I have money as an adult, you know, that probably should be spent <laughs> adult on other money. things. Adult money. Right, exactly. <laughs> Good, well put. But on that, like I've been buying a lot of Jordans and I'm like, man, so I buy these Jordans and I'm like, okay, 11's going to work. And I get them and I'm like, they're still a little like tight. Like I have some Jordan fours that are like, I might even need to go to like an 11 and a half. So yeah, Jordan, I don't know what you're doing, but- what is what is the greatest Air Jordans of all time? For me personally, oh my gosh, I like the Jordan 32s and there's a reason. Okay. They had come out in March. 
when they came out, which I think is like 17-ish, 2017, they came out with a Carolina edition. And I'm a huge University of North Carolina fan. If you couldn't tell, I know being in Oregon, it's really weird. I have a North Carolina flag in the studio. And you're like, wait, are you in Oregon? Are you in... North Carolina. I'm very confused. It's very weird, but I don't know why I, I you know, I mean, I know why, but it, yeah, those are my favorite pair. And then I have some Jordan 11s that I just got, okay. um, when I started, uh, actually this season, cause we're in season 11. So I thought I had to go get Jordan 11s. That was my gotcha. justification okay. of spending $200 on a pair of shoes just for season <laughs> numbers. That's sad. I, See, I, I thought you'd go like, Oh gee, I was kind of surprised with the 32. That's like way down the line there. I'm going to go with the Jordan 6s. The Jordan 6 was my favorite. I had a pair when I was a kid. However, I had the red and white ones, and I always thought the black with the infrared red in the air pocket was the coolest, and I still have never gotten a pair because I went to find them now as an adult, and they were like $450. And I was like, oh, I don't I don't need them that bad. <laughs> Sell a guitar, John. Sell a guitar. No, I hear you because that's me. I have a friend at church especially. He says, I don't think I've ever seen you in the same pair of shoes, which I – you know, take as a compliment because I'm always swapping out shoes. Like there's a lot, there's probably 50 to 80 pairs. So I, I have a problem. I need to go to shoe holics anonymous or something. Anyway. So back to you and, and your shoe sizes. Is there a certain brand? Like I know we're talking Jordan brand, but if, if we're going to narrow John down to, okay, this is my brand. This is what I'm wearing. What am I wearing? Yeah. So I, I used to kind of be a Nike guy back in high school when we were running, I was usually almost always wearing Nike air and being from Oregon, everybody was Nike people. But then like, on the soccer side, I was pretty heavy Adidas. Nike was kind of late, came later in that. Pretty heavy Adidas. So Adidas and Nike were both pretty common over the years. But I would say now I'm kind of in an interesting place where, yeah, some of the retro shoes are like the old Nikes still are just awesome to me. The old Jordans, like those are hard to beat. If you're just looking for like fashion and hey, these are cool. But as far as stuff I wear, I, I just pick shoes so much for gear nowadays for their function, for whatever I want to go do. And so like La Sportiva has become a big one for me because they have like they have mountaineering boots, they have trail runners, they have backcountry ski boots built for the mountains and that's something I love to do and so it's it's weird it's like a totally different thing than an air you know pair of air jordans i've got like different levels of like trail runner hiking slash climbing boots slash mountaineering boots slash all in their line and and it's like super nice high-end stuff made in europe you know so that's fun that's fun stuff. I could talk shoes all day. Right? shoes and sports <laughs> i feel like and maybe jesus i will throw him in there i could talk that all day yeah but getting into you, I'm curious about this because we've been asking folks this question all season long, and it's this idea of an aglet. Now, to help, if you didn't ever watch Phineas and Ferb or your kids never got into that, that aglet is that plastic or metal thing. Jordans, by the way, they're a little metally at the end of the shoelace. If it wasn't there, your shoelace would unravel. And so I ask you, John, if that thing, whatever it is, and I'm putting thing around it or maybe blank fill in for us, what is that aglet for you? Um, I mean, the... The knee-jerk answer is, I guess, my faith. But if I'm honest, I feel like the aglet did unravel <laughs> a bit. And the only way that you can get a like frayed shoestring back together again is to burn it. And, and I feel like there's been some seasons in my life of things that I've gone through that that's kind of the story, right? Like the faith was the thing holding together, but then like life happened and things happened. And, and then sometimes faith didn't make sense. And you're like, well, I don't know what to do with it. And then you had to go through some fire and that got like to the core of like, okay, what really is real and what really matters? So it's probably a way deeper answer than you're looking for, but <laughs> that's kind of like where I'm at currently in life of like, it's a combination of like coming back to that strand of faith being a key piece but also the the fires and the hurts and the hardships being something that really kind of at first it felt like it was destroying everything but then you realize wait i've become somebody totally different as a result and it's actually like compacted my life into a a, a good way i guess so it's so funny you mentioned that. And first off, that isn't too deep because I think that's so profound. I've bought shoes, going back to my shoe analogy and, and, and laces even. And I've and I've started to tie them and they're so long and they're so lengthy that I just, uh, I, I almost trip over the laces because they've been become so you know long. And I look down and they just look a mess. And so I've 
trimmed the laces, cut the aglet off of it, and I have burned the edges of them so they don't become frayed. And then now they're smaller and now they're more manageable. Now they're more, they look better. But I'm wondering about this for you because again, you didn't like wake up one day and was like, hey, I'm going to start this band called Cutlass. We're going to sell, you know, two million, hundred million records, you know, worldwide. We're, we're going to tour all over the world and all over the United States. And we're going to play awesome songs like Strong Tower and all this other stuff. But when was that moment for you when you realized, you know what? I'm no longer John Micah. I'm now John Micah, the lead singer of Cutlass. Like, when was that moment for you? I, I, there, I mean, there's a couple things done back there, I guess. But uh, I mean, I started playing music when I was five years old. I started playing piano. My My mom just taught me basic reading music, classical piano. My grandmother played in church. And so piano was kind of a part of our family for years. And then I started taking lessons and played piano all the way up through high school, uh, picked up the cello in grade school, did the grade school strings thing for a few years, and then, you know, continued that into high school, kind of youth symphony stuff. Picked up the guitar. I broke my hand and I was in a cast, so I couldn't, like I broke my finger, my small finger, and I, I couldn't, it was all casted together, so I couldn't play the piano anymore, but I could hold a pick with that hand. So I thought, well, I can hold a pick, let's, uh, I'll, maybe I'll learn guitar. So, because the other hand was fine. So my left hand, I learned chords and learned how to strum a guitar. And so I picked that up. I was, I think I was about 13 years old when I started that. About the age I wrote my first song as well. And so that kind of just, that it, music was always a part of my life, right? Like, and, and it would just, it just kind of grew. And, you know, when I was in high school, as, as you know, sports were like my focus, right? Our soccer team was really good. We were state champions. It was, we were ranked eighth in the nation there at one point. And like, it was super fun. I did really well at track too. And it was, that was more my focus. Music was a hobby. It was something I did on the side because it was part of my upbringing, something I enjoyed. And then um, I got involved leading worship at my church a ton too. There was a group at our church called Maranatha Mountain Ministries that would do all these really fun skiing and snowboarding trips and mountain biking and like whitewater rafting, like that kind of stuff. And I, I loved, I still love <laughs> all of those things in adventure sports. They needed somebody to lead worship on the trips. And so I kind of got plugged in there, started leading worship on all those trips and would just go with them all over the place. And that, but that's just kind of all it was. I wasn't, I wasn't trying to make a career out of it or anything and ended up getting recruited to play college soccer. I was on a full ride soccer scholarship and right. I mean, so as a freshman in college, we were, we came in early in August to start training uh, you know we were there weeks before any of the normal students moved in we needed to be there for our soccer season and so i was already moved in on moving day when everybody else started coming in i remember i was just playing my guitar in my dorm room there because i didn't have to move in everyone else was moving all their stuff and, and next thing i know i've got like 15 guys all crammed into my little dorm room there like singing along and playing songs and everyone's like wow this is crazy and one of the guys that came in he's like hey i'm the ra of the dorm here you clearly know how to do this you know i, I want to i've been wanting to start just a campus worship night would you lead it and i was like sure i guess so you know why not grabbed a couple other guys in the dorms that said they played other instruments and we had a little worship band there and started i think it was tuesday the tuesday or thursday nights i can't remember that we started just playing a, a little worship set on campus there in the chapel that group was the precursor to what would eventually become a group of guys that we started doing original shows and and original songs i had i'd been writing songs since i was 13 i was like hey i got these songs we can try them and see if we can make them into something and and so it just continued to from that like i remember one night we were all looking at each other going man i just really love to like do original music and play concerts and use it as an outreach tool and and the other guys are like oh man that's totally been on my heart too and we're like well let's do it so our first show was a concert on campus at warner pacific college and we didn't know what we doing it was terrible it's sonically i'm sure but i but we were just so full of energy and fire i remember we couldn't afford a fog machine uh so we found plans on the internet of how to make a fog machine with two bread pans and an old ironing plate and we literally made our own <laughs> fog machine out of bread pans and an old iron we picked up at a garage sale it worked it totally worked and that was our fog effects and smoke for our first show. And we just we just ran with it. We just felt like this was the direction we were supposed to go. And so we took it really seriously. The next year, we all moved into an on-campus house together. We set up the basement as a rehearsal area. We hung carpet on the walls and set up all our band gear down there and just 
practiced a ton and booked a few more shows. And that was kind of the very early, not knowing that it was going to become what it was going to become. But at that, I would say that was the season that we're like, I think this is what I'm supposed to do. Like, I think this is God's path for me. And and I had just an incredible passion for it. And I think a lot of our peers and our parents especially were like, uh, I don't know about this. <laughs> How about you finish school? Um, that's what you need to do is get a good degree. And so, yeah. So anyways, it, it was it was an interesting season for us. It was exciting and terrifying and all this, all this stuff. But I, I promised, I remember I promised my parents, I was like, hey, I'm not going to just leave a scholarship and leave school unless we have like something legitimate. You know, like, I'm not just going to leave everything and be like, oh, you know, we're going to try and make this work. I was like, but if the door is open, like, I really feel like this is where God's leading and calling me. And um, so I gave him that heads up. And sure enough, it was my junior year of college that we had a record deal on the table and opportunity opened up and off we went. <laughs> so you had uh first off, that's fantastic. I love all that. I, I got to say, I didn't know any of that. I know some <laughs> of it, but not all of it. And that's, that's what's so great, you know, is, is to have that moment with you. So you had, uh, you had Jeff Gilbert in the band for a while right he was he was doing drums for you guys if i remember right yes originally he was in a band called seven places actually both my wife and i we've been really close with the gilbert family for years i would say that john and sharon uh, jeff's parents were mentors to us in our dating and you know early married days especially and uh we still still love the gilbert family but yeah so jeff is in in seven places and we had a different drummer at the time and we actually toured together a little bit on the road and i i knew both seth and and Jeff from, they both were at South Medford too and knew them forever. And we did a Friday night Bible study at their house uh, all through high school and just a great crew. So anyway, so yeah, they were, we'd bump into the, you know, into on the road, known them forever. And um, when our drummer, and we actually had a drummer and bass player leave at the same time. And so Jeff and uh, Dave Lutkenholter, who was also has Southern Oregon roots, they, they had recently like left seven places and seven places wasn't really doing much music. And so they were kind of in between and I was like, well, shoot, we could just grab those guys <laughs> and plug them in here and we're off and running. And so that's, that's what ended up happening is they joined our band and yeah, we, they were, gosh, I, they were with us for a while. I'm trying to remember what year it was that they went on other stuff, but um, yeah, we played, we played for a while together. Well, Jeff used to cheat off me in biology, so um, which I'm terrible at biology, so bad on him. He should have picked somebody smarter. Should have picked somebody else. That was my Jeff Gilbert story. So if you run into him again or shoot him yeah. a text, he's like, hey, I ran into Neil Matthews. You used to cheat on him in biology. You probably should have picked somebody better. Yeah, if I feel gonna, bad. If you're going to cheat, you, know, you got to find at least find, the right answers, don't, right? Don't find the dumb kid in class, okay? Don't find the dumb kid in class. But the other one you, you mentioned was was Seth Gilbert, which is uh, just to help is Jeff's Seth is older. Jeff is is the younger brother of, yeah. of Jeff and Seth. But I actually was in Romeo and Juliet freshman year, our freshman year, because you graduated in 99, too. Yeah. And so I shared a stage with Seth Gilbert. So, you know, hello, seven places. Yeah. Shared a stage with him. <laughs> I'm famous back in the drama days back in the drama days i was a freshman yeah, he had right no clue who i was no clue who i was i'm sure but you know, nonetheless but i want to talk about you you mentioned your songwriting from the early days and you know just having that kind of gift ability maybe given to you to be a writer to be a songwriter i think it's a gift whether you're writing songs or you're writing novels or you're writing scripts we you know we joked about the play you know i think writing is a skill and it is a talent and it is something that obviously can be honed and, and you know worked out but i'm wondering about this if you don't mind sharing hardest song for you to write whether it be personally or even with cutlass was what oh man Probably one I'm working on now, honestly. Yeah, I... Uh, can you share? Like, can we get an exclusive? Or, or I mean, I might mean, be putting you on the spot. I don't know. Yeah, so I'm trying to... One of the things I've done in the past is I oftentimes wrote songs to convey a message. A lot of artists, when they write and songwriters, they just have to get out what's inside of them, <laughs> right? Where they just are like, this is what I'm thinking. This is what I'm going through. And it's the song is built on a lot of personal emotion and and raw vulnerability, right? Of just whatever they're feeling or going through, and they write a song about it. And it's almost therapeutic for a lot of songwriters to kind of like have an outlet 
for whatever they're feeling. And I, I almost never wrote that way. I always had this kind of like tactical idea of like, okay, I want to write a song about this and I want it to sound like this and I want it to give this message or that. I'd always kind of think of it more in that regards. And then there was also something that I didn't realize until more recently in my life had a very heavy burden of should, what should I say? What should I write about? What's expected of me? And and that became a burden that it, I realized just from the Christian culture. Like we oftentimes begin to live in this world of who should I be? How should I act? What should I look like? And now looking back, I realized a lot of the songs that I wrote, I was doing the same thing where I was like, well, what, what should a song like this be about? <laughs> you know, what should I write about? How, how could I impact the most people if I write this way or this song? And where I'm at now is I'm trying to learn to just go, you know what, I'm just going to write about what I want to write about and what I feel. And I want to be more vulnerable in it and talk about things that maybe I would have never talked about before. Because as I've kind of explored that a little bit more, I found in vulnerability that people actually really connect with that. And that can be a very, very powerful thing. When when they hear from an artist or someone they see on stage, this vulnerability and realness that it's like, wow, I feel that. I'm not the only one. And I think I think when it comes to faith, like even open conversations, dialogue about people that doubt their faith, it's like a lot of times we just like, well, I can't admit to that because that shows signs of weakness or that I'm off the rails. And it's like, no, you know what? Most people at some point go through a pretty dark season of doubt in their life. And if you haven't yet, you'll probably run into it at some point in your life. And that's that's part of the human process. It's part of growing and learning is you, you got to work through stuff when things don't work the way you thought they were going to work. And so, but that's kind of a new thing for me to be like, wow, I need to be, if I want to be more vulnerable and I don't have to have all these rules and parameters around what I write, I can just be free to like express what I'm thinking or feeling. That's also very scary for me because it's a new space and it, well, how much do I want to share? <laughs> like how much dirt do I want to put out there? And so, cause sometimes people use stuff against you too, right? You know, you share something that's personal and vulnerable and and people can be really mean about it sometimes. So especially in this age of social media, <laughs> that's why right now is an interesting time for me with the music I'm working on right now is I'm trying to take a different approach, but I'm like, Ooh, where are we going here? How, what are we going to share? And what's, what's going to be healthy for me too, as a songwriter, as a human being, I kind of want to write for me for a change too. And I, that may sound selfish, but like, I'm like, actually by doing that, I think people are going to be like, Oh my gosh, thank you for saying that. Like I can connect with what you're saying. I, I get what you're saying in, within the song or whatever. And so, yeah, so that's kind of where, where I'm at and what I'm walking through right now. I love that. I love that on a lot of levels because one of the guys that I've always respected in Christian music and he came through, you know, Southern Oregon a while back, his name's Toby Mack. Maybe you've heard of him. I don't, I don't know. Have you guys? Yeah. We know. I, I, I hope you've heard of him. All yeah. right. I'm, yeah. We've I'm being, we, we, I'm being facetious. Together. I know you've yeah. probably even, yeah. Yeah. Get shared a cup of coffee together, which I'm maybe a little envious of. Yeah. No, we, anyway, fine. A bunch. Yeah, yeah. Whatever. It's fine. Probably got him on speed dial. It's fine, John. It's fine. But he came through Southern Oregon. I positioned myself in one of those mini Dove Festival concerts that you've been through at Southern Oregon that you've cut loose and have come through. I somehow got to meet him and shake his hand and take a picture with him. And as I'm taking his picture, I'm so honest to God, starstruck. I couldn't even get words out. I'm not kidding. Like, and I'm a man that doesn't fumble, stumble over words at least. And I couldn't even make a coherent sentence. <laughs> But somehow I got out, your music changed my life. Your music found me in middle school and changed my life. Thank you. Thank you for being faithful in, in your gift. I think I ended up getting out. Something to that effect. Yeah. And it shocked me, his response. He said, do you mind if I share that with my family tonight? And I was like, oh my God, Toby Mac's going to talk about <laughs> his family. You know, that's where I went. Not, you know, what a great, nice thing to say that was. But I had nothing to sign his honor, no photo to sign, no shirt to sign. But I had on... Speaking of Adidas, I had on Tracy McGrady, T-Mac, as they call him in the NBA. He has his own shoe line called T-Mac. I wore those specifically for the concert. And so I had him sign these T-Mac shoes, these Adidas shoes. And so they're in the studio. I've never worn them since, by the way. Do look at them from time to time. I'm like, that, that was the moment. I say all that because as an artist, as an influencer, as a musician, as a child of God, as a husband, as a father, all these hats that you wear. If music wasn't in your life, if music and creating things weren't there, I mean, you'd just be John Micah, which is fine. But do you feel like there would be a piece of you missing? Real quick before I answer that question. 
because this is for you. Toby is also a sneakerhead, and I guarantee you he knew exactly what shoes you were wearing and what he was signing. Like, you may not have known he knew, but I I can almost guarantee he knew what those shoes were. <laughs> well, if you ever run into him again, like, again, just around the coffee shop or the tours or backstage, I yeah. did ask him, though, and he kind of hedged, by the way. Maybe you could get the straight answer. I said, Toby, I got to know once and for all, just for my sake, no one, no spiritual meeting here, Duke or North Carolina, like I need to know. And he said, well, they're both good. And I said, no, no, that's not the answer. I needed to hear. Nothing is good about the devil, right? And he goes, well, you know, no, you're, you're, you're right. And he's trying to get on stage, by the way, John. And people are like, stop talking to him. Yeah. I'm like, you don't understand. Like, I need to know everything. He, he probably doesn't care. And he didn't because he was late to the show because he was playing golf in Bandon. You know. And he, he loves and he to play went, golf. Yeah, he loves golf. And, and he, he went, does love golf. He went to Liberty. So, yeah, you know, when Liberty was in the in the tournament, you know, for basketball, I'm sure he was rooting for them. <laughs> I'm sure he was. So, anyway, if you could just, you know, when you bump into him again, just ask him. Just, you know, if he could just send me back a message and say, okay, he, he did answer. It's North Carolina, Neil. And I can sleep better knowing that. I, I get it. I don't, I don't have a dog in that hunt either. North Carolina and Duke. I just, I just watch it because so many people get so upset about it and it's kind of fun to just watch everybody. You should have seen me in March. There was a lot of prayers. Like I had burned knees, burned marks, rug marks on my knees from praying because Jesus really cares if Duke or North Carolina wins, right? Yeah. He, he does yeah. not care just for the record. You just got to be an Oregon state fan and then you don't have to worry about it because you kind of know. Stop. Stop. <laughs> You gotta Stop. know how it's gonna turn out. I I hate Oregon State. <laughs> they beat North Carolina in baseball. Like every time we get to the World Series That's in baseball, truly. I know this is terrible. But every time North Carolina gets there, like I'm like, oh, we have this amazing team in baseball. And by the way, I couldn't name five baseball players on North Carolina's team for the record. But they're my team. They're my school, so I'm gonna root for them. But every time we get there, Oregon State wrecks the freaking party. I hate it's it. It's the only sport though that they get to, they get to do that. I know, I know. So take your moment. But uh, back to you. Yeah. Somehow we can get back on track. If John Micah doesn't have music, he is where? Well, it's it's funny because I got to a pretty dark place just a few years ago. We're actually, total side note, but we're actually looking at launching our own podcast to tell some of these stories at, at much greater length because we started walking through. I'm like, this is going to take hours <laughs> to, to like lay out. It's hard to condense to one, one little ep one episode. We do feel like we have a lot to share and a lot I think that people will be very surprised and eye-opened to in the Christian industry and things we've walked through and gone through. If you need a facilitator, I awesome. know a guy. Just saying. Um, so we're, we're we're looking at sharing. So some of these things I'll touch on that you know you'll be able to very soon, hopefully very soon, you'll be able to just stream kind of the longer versions of these as well, and you kind of hear the backstory behind a lot of this. I actually threw a lot a lot of stuff happened really, really rough season. And I stepped away from music almost completely. I didn't touch my guitar for two years, except for a couple of shows that we had that were already booked. So I had to play. <laughs> During COVID, you know, we were completely shut down. Uh, we didn't try to do anything. Most bands were doing other things, you know, doing live concerts and stuff. We just disappeared. And I, I quit listening to music. I didn't even listen to music anymore. The joy was gone out of it. I didn't want to listen to it. It was, it was just, it was an interesting season. There was so much hurt and pain and anger attached to it that I couldn't enjoy it anymore. So I listened to a lot of podcasts. <laughs> I listened to a lot of other stuff, audiobooks and and other things. And um, and yeah, I, I spent the last uh, three years working for a med device company in medical sales for Striker Medical and stepped away and went and did that. I, I needed to get out of church culture and out of vocational ministry and what I guess you could call the professional Christian um, life and just try and be myself and work through some of my own stuff and figure out who I am without all of that. And without, not, not only without Cutlass, but without my church upbringing and the culture that comes with that and the consistent, we, we get in these ruts where we do what we just have always done, what we know. And, and to actually step back and go, well, wh why am I doing this? Am I reading my Bible because I have a relationship with God and I want to go deeper with him? Or am I doing it because it's a religious action that I've done for most of my life? And I think that question is important because as I started to ask those questions, I'm like, well, what does my relationship with God look like? Is it a relationship or is it just a transaction where it's like, well, do this, this, and this, and you know, good things will happen or whatever. So it was a really interesting season for me. And I think much needed. It was 
very difficult. And only recently in this last year have I been starting to reopen and, and rediscover my love for music. It's a process because I still will find myself starting to hold back again and be like, ooh, I don't know if I want to go here. <laughs> but then other times, like the creativity will just happen and things start to flow. And I'm like, gosh, this feels so good <laughs> like to be doing something that I that is, for lack of a better way of saying it, like it's in my lane. Like I know how to do this. I'm good at this. I, I get it. And it, and it's easy because I, it's something that I, I do think I was gifted in that I think, yes, there's just natural ability. I think that God gives people, Michael Jordan was an incredible athlete, but he was born with abilities, but he also honed that. He spent thousands of hours becoming the player that he was. And we've put that, we've, we've done music for 20 years. The, the, the quote unquote 10,000 hour, <laughs> you know, thing to really become, um, I guess what you could say, you know, experts or, you know, we were professionals for a long, long time. And most people don't have the opportunity to invest that kind of time into a craft and to hone it. And, and you, you get a lot better when you do, do that. And so to be able to be back in a lane where I'm like, no, this is something that feels right with how God made me and, and the giftings that I have and the, the time invested but separating the, the bad stuff and some of the hurt and hard times from the good has been a, a, a trip, a tricky process. But it did require me to step away for a little bit to completely reevaluate. And I would say as we come back and as you start re-engaging and doing more and more things, you know, our, a lot of our fans were like, oh, where's the music been? We haven't heard anything forever. And now we finally got stuff coming out again. And, you know, there's there's things happening again. We're trying to do it differently, though. In, in the old, you know, when we were young and 21 years old and the whole world's ahead of you, you just jump on the freight train and go. And now we're, we're being very intentional and very mindful of going, no, do we want to do this? Do we, do we have to do this? Do we feel like we have to do this? And that's why we're doing it. You know, what, why are we doing what we're doing and, and what do we care about and what do we want it to look like? One of the biggest struggles of the, in the past of our career is just the primary revenue stream for most musicians is touring revenue. And so you're on the road all the time. Well, once you're married and have a family and kids and that's a huge conflict because you're like, I'm gone all the time and I'm missing stuff I'm, with my family and my kids. I'm missing their soccer games and their school choir concerts and all, all the things that we, as normal parents, like you go to and, and are part of. And I missed a lot over the years. And then I had this season where I was at everything because I could be because I was home. And that was really special. And so now as we kind of like look into this new season, I go, what does it look like to, can I still prioritize my family and do this? And what do I need to do different to make that happen? It's a tough thing to walk through first off to recognize. Uh, and for me, it's almost heartbreaking to hear, you know, some people say podcasting is an art form. It's creative, whatever. I, I don't know if it's that cool for me yet. I'm not a musical artist, but I do have fun doing this. And I have had times, you know, over the last three years of, of walking away. Granted, it's not 20 years, but there have been moments where I, I don't feel like people are caring enough as, as much as I do. And, and first rule of podcasting, if you guys start, by the way, well, I mean, maybe it's different for you guys, but for me, like you got to know nobody's going to care as much as you care, you know? And I know you probably know that even as an artist to me, and this is not a pressure, this is not a guilt trip, but I think to rob the world of your talented music, not only is you as John Micah, but you as Cutlass as well, I think would would severely rob our world of, of very talented musicians, not glorifying themselves, but glorifying God and bringing God that glory. I mean, there's some songs you write that I, not necessarily you wrote, but songs you perform, I'll say, that I still weep when I hear them. I just wanted to share that with you. So on that same kind of lane and, and thread, if you will, maybe this is too much of a stretch, but we talked about Toby, we talked about you know some other artists that you guys have been on tour with. Obviously for 20 years, you've run into a few artists a time or two, but best advice or, or maybe maybe a lesson you learned from an artist and you don't have to name drop per se. Somebody said this to me and man, that taught me or that gave me some great advice there. What was that for you? Um, man, I don't know. I'm trying to think of like, if there's like a <laughs> culminating, like Profound this moment. is the, yeah. this is the thing. And maybe it wasn't, maybe um, it was just, maybe it was the way they came off. Maybe it was the way they performed. Maybe it was the way they interacted with me. I don't know. Cause again, I'm not yeah. in these circles, so I don't, I don't know. I mean, Toby, you know, Toby is an interesting one for me too. Cause I, I grew up listening to DC talk. And so to get to know him, 
you know, years later. And, and I got to know a lot of people in the industry and, you know, some people, it was hard to get to know them because you're like, I liked you better in the way that I thought of you before, <laughs> you know? And then other people, you're like, that guy's the real deal. And that always felt really good to see. And and I think, I do think Toby's one of those guys. You're like, man, that guy's, that guy's the real deal. And he's been through a lot too. But at the same time, like we're all broken people, all of us. And, and one thing I appreciate about him though, is he, he was always very big on keeping things like positivity on the bus on the road like hey we're not going to talk negative about other people we're not you know just not going to tolerate it because it's a downward spiral as soon as people start getting down on each other that's really easy for that just to it's like a one-upping game of negativity (laughs) um and so that was you know i'd say he he's been you know because growing up listening to his music he he was a guy that was it was special for us to get to tour with and spend time with i think another group that we really appreciated and and kind of learned from just their perspective a little bit was the the casting crowns guys they're the most unlikely of rock stars and nothing about what they do or who they are makes any sense to be a rock star right but they're like a platinum selling massive band and they're like yeah we gotta get home because we have youth group on sunday and we're like half of them were still youth group leaders at home and they're like trying to figure out how to tour and still get home on Sunday so they can help their youth group. The way that they approach things and just from a real ministry perspective, it was so counter to what Nash, Nash Vegas, the glitz and glamour of Nashville and the, the Christian music industry. Like there, there's a lot of shine and flash and posturing. And, you know, one of the big sayings we would hear all the time is, you know, you are what people think you are. <laughs> and so perception is reality. If you can get people to believe that you're bigger than you are, you will be bigger because the perception is reality. And I just love casting crowns just never cared about any of that. <laughs> they weren't trying to posture themselves as this next great thing. They just like, nope, we, we like music and we play these songs and it makes a difference in people's lives. And that's why we do it. So I just really appreciate their humility and, and their approach to just, and what was the, the funniest thing about touring with them is because they were all youth pastors, they were stoked to hang out with us because we were the cool rock band that all their kids listened to. <laughs> and I'm like, you guys realize that you're the big headlining act here. Like, <laughs> like we're, we're supporting you guys. Like everyone's here to see you. Um, it was, it was just hilarious. So really, really good people though. I will say one of the things that they did on that tour, and we actually continue to do this oftentimes on our tours is they would actually, before the show, they'd walk out into the audience and they would actually stand in a spot in the audience and pray for the person that's going to be sitting in that seat. And they would do that, you know, sometimes a handful of different seats. Sometimes they just walk through the aisles. But the cool thing about it was, was then when you were on stage during the set, you could look at that chair and see the person that was sitting there and go, I prayed for that person for tonight. Somehow something would happen tonight that would impact their life. And that was like, when you have a big audience and crowd in front of you, it's, it just kind of gets blurry sometimes, you know, it's just a big, it's a bunch of people. But when you've actually singled out an individual person in the audience and you prayed for them before they even showed up, they don't know that nobody knows that. And you can look at them and you go, that person right there, I don't know what God's doing, but I prayed for them. And I hope that tonight's impactful for them. It was, it was just something that was really neat personal connection with the people that were in the audience. And yeah, I heard that they had done that. And I thought that is powerful. That is so powerful. Yeah. And it's cool that you got to just hang out with Toby. Sorry, I'm just in, in, in love with every time he's like, say his name, like I sit up a little straighter. Yeah. He just does it differently from what I've seen and what I've heard from other folks. Uh, Ryan Stevenson, he's kind of from this Bonanza, Southern Oregon area. Yeah. And I got a chance to talk with him backstage one time. And he said he just he just does it differently. Neil, you, you just can't even understand it. Ryan actually sent me a Goatees uh, Records hat. I tried to trade him a North Carolina hat for the hat he was wearing. He declined. <laughs> but he said, send me an email and I'll send you a hat. So shout out to Ryan Stevenson for sending. I still have the hat, by the way. Awesome. It's, it's behind me. So, But talking about songs and talking about artists that make songs that change lives, there's two that jump out at me that are Cutlass songs. The first one is Remember Me. And I, I took little snippets from, from the song. So here we go. First one is this, is Remember Me. It says, I've been ashamed. I've been put down, head in my hands, my life on the ground. Left heaven to save, liars and thieves, sinners like me. Your blood sets me free. Who am I that you would remember me? By the way, that is my favorite Cutlass song. Awesome. 
And I like the I like the Amazon acoustic set better than I like the mainstream set. So I don't know if you get any royalties on Amazon for that. You might get a little more of a royalty check this last month because it's been on repeat. Like I mowed the lawn and the whole time I'm mowing the lawn, which is about a two hour process because I'm a baby and like I suck at mowing the lawn, but it's just on repeat in my head. And I'm like, this is so powerful. And I, it took about five times hearing it. I know you're going to be like, wow, five. I'm, I'm not kidding you. It was probably like 40 times altogether in that two hour period because I hate mowing the lawn, like I said. But there's a moment when you go back and listen to the recording and it's only on Amazon because it's an Amazon exclusive that I didn't catch it till like five times and I stopped mowing the lawn because there's this moment right as the song starts, the music comes on. I'm thinking it's you because you lead in the song. You're the lead singer. There's this... <sighs> There's this breath that they don't cut out. Can you explain that to me? I heard it in the recording. Yeah. So that that record, we actually, if you listen through the whole record, we left a bunch of that stuff in on purpose. We felt like, and this this is a production piece. This isn't a super deep spiritual thing necessarily. No, we just felt like so much of music had become so mm-hmm. synthetic and had lost like life to it that we when we kind of got everything finished and comped and like, there was a lot of stuff that were like, you know what, leaving the humanity and some of the things in the song, we felt like it made it feel more alive and more believable. And just, we're just like, everything's just so shiny and glossy and like perfectly tuned. And all the, all the instruments are electronic. Everyone plays a computer. They didn't even play a guitar anymore, <laughs> you know? And so we were just like, let's just leave some of this stuff in. And there's actually another song in there. Uh, I tracked outside at night and there were like crickets in the background. And I, I don't think you can hear it in that, in the final track, but like, we just were like, let's just leave it in there, you know? And I don't know what kind of texture it added or what we just tried stuff and yeah, added stuff. So most likely it's, it's probably, it probably is me taking a breath and, but those little things, yeah, you're like, this is actually really cool in this moment and this song right here. Normally you would cut that out. We left some of those things in on purpose. Well, you would, I mean, I cut it out in podcasts because so many times people don't realize it when you're talking normally in real life, we'll call it real life. Yeah. You do have a breath. Like I just breathed right now that you'll probably never hear because I'll take it out. But is in that moment, like I said, I'm listening to this and I stopped mowing. I'm like, wait, did he, did, did he just breathe? And I'm like, how did I never catch that before? But I'm like, this is such a powerful, like those lyrics are powerful that God would take a moment to remember just me, the liar that I've been, the thief that I've been head in my hands. I've been there too. Like I said, it's just so powerful. So I just want to thank you guys for that. And then the other thing I was going to say, the second one, a little more upbeat, which by the way, if I can just give musical feedback. I don't know. I'm not a musical critic by no means. I love the harder stuff. Like worship was a hard thing for me to get around. Just saying. I miss Cutlass hard, not soft, fluffy Cutlass, if that makes sense. Just you wait. And we are, we are coming back swinging, swinging hard. Because this song, every time you played it at the expo at the Dove Fest, every time you play this, like I just watch your face, I watch your body language as you're singing this song. And here's the song. It says, if it ends today. That's one of my other favorite Cutlass songs. And one of the signs, one of the lyrics that goes is, raise your hands if you're with me. Raise your hands if you're ready. Say, hey. And then the crowd would say, hey, hey, I'm not afraid. Hey, hey, if it ends today. And by the way, I've run to that song, like races, run races races to that song 5k so you made yeah. the playlist john just so you know on that too so toby dominates but you had a little piece so just well, for the record yeah if you like the heavy stuff i miss the heavy stuff is all i'm saying it was the 20th anniversary of our first record on july 16th so exact our first record came out july 16th of 2002 so july 16th 2022 20th anniversary and so we released three remakes the top three songs from that record we re-recorded released those so your touch tonight and run were the three that we redid and it was so much fun to go back and revisit those songs our goal was to just like what if we recorded that song today same song we're not going to change it a bunch and like try and completely make it a different song we're gonna take the song the core of the song and just let the guitar guitar tones that we would have today the production value that we have today because there's a lot that's changed in technology in 20 years <laughs> like a whole lot <laughs> so we're like let's take all the technology that we have today and let's just make this song new but also we wanted to capture kind of where we're headed sonically for our next new stuff and so i think it, it's a little bit of a bridge to give a hint of where we're headed and what we're doing 
so yeah definitely check that out if you haven't heard it yet we have three songs that are done they're ready to go they're queued up and uh we're getting ready to launch those and then we'll have another three coming out after in this day and age like we we're not doing the launch 12 songs in a big record and then everybody listens to them to death for two weeks and they go hey when's your next record coming out so we're like let's just start trickling them out <laughs> here's a couple for you enjoy it for a little while and then here's a couple more <laughs> so we're gonna start we're gonna start dripping songs out um but it's heavy it's good it's it's real heavy. I, I'm just not a worship guy. My friends tease me all the time. Like I'm not a worship guy because I grew up a youth guy, right? I grew up being that youth pastor. So so many times, especially in a youth service, if if I had an opportunity to speak, you know, the worship band would be playing, and then in the background, the green room, if you will, like I'm preparing what I'm gonna say. I'm I'm like mentally going over my notes. So I never really got that worship kind of experience because I was so focused on, okay, all right, is that transition going to work? Okay. Am I going to use this story or that? You know what I mean? Like I never mentally could get to worship. And now, you know, as an adult, I've been malformed in my worship experience, I guess. But I do, I do have to say just small story. I, I YouTubed you guys and you guys are playing at, I think it's like the 47th Dove Awards or something. I don't know. Kurt Franklin introduces you, by the way, speaking of name dropping and you guys come out and you're just rocking. And I look at the crowd and like, nobody's moving, they nobody's know, doing oh. anything. And they didn't know what to do. And I was like, poor John, poor I, other guys. We, I specifically remember Amy Grant looking mortified. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe she wasn't, maybe that was just the feeling. She was just tired because we're at an award show. It's been sure, there forever. But I was they like, take forever. Yeah. I just remember seeing her be like, she hates this. <laughs> Do you know Amy? Just, I mean, I uh, I've I've met her. Okay, you met her. I wouldn't sure. I wouldn't say that I know her. We, you know, we Fair just enough. just met her, and that's about it. Yeah, because they did that Jesus music documentary, which was really good, by the way. She's in it yeah. a bunch. Uh, obviously, Smitty, Michael W. Smith is in it. Toby's in it. Kevin Kevin Max is in it, and then uh, they get Tate for a lot of it too. So. Anyway, okay. it's worth the walk. Yeah. yeah, and we worked with we worked with Brown Bannister. Um, what faith he produced? What faith can do? Gosh, he worked a ton with her and with um, and with Michael Libby Smith and a bunch of bunch of the big names over the years. So lots lots of overlapping circles, but. Yeah, we just, I mean, we saw her a few shows, but she wasn't doing a lot of touring or shows, you know, most of the time when we were really busy, so. Do your kids know you're famous? Or do you even consider yourself famous, I guess? Yeah, it's, well, that's a whole other aspect in and of itself is they had to deal with it in their own way, which was hard. My son especially probably got the brunt of it the most because of where we were at in our career when he was in, like, grade school. Yeah, I mean, I remember at church, you know, other kids being like, hey, cut this kid, come over here, you know, and he really felt this, like, people wanted to get to him because they wanted to get to me, and I remember him really struggling with, like, I just want people to like me for me. I want people to be my friend because they're my friend. He was he was definitely very aware of this, like, like this is, they're not, they don't care about me. They care about me being access to something that they feel is, you know, important or big. That was actually an interesting dynamic, pretty challenging thing for my kids. Now, well, my son's 17, and he's decided that he loves music. And now he's like, hey, dad, you got the inside track. Help me out here. <laughs> I want to do what you do. I was like, well, you better put in the time, buddy, because I'm not just going to hand it to you. <laughs> you got to you gotta earn it. And then and then my daughter being a little bit younger, she they both love coming out to shows and stuff. And I have a picture up on our shelf of um, them out on stage with me at one of the arenas when we were playing one of the big tours and when they were little. And like, it, for there's also some very like, pretty cool memories that they have as a result of it. Um, we used to do a, sh- a festival at Disney every year. And so <laughs> I, I had this brilliant idea. I was like, well, when we negotiate our contract with Disney, like, why don't we just negotiate park hopper passes with our payment, like as part of our payment? Cause that doesn't cost them anything just to give us tickets, but it's a huge value to us. So we'd take our whole family for like, you know, five or six days down to Disney <laughs> And we just worked the whole thing into our show deal. And it was awesome. So they got to have the royal treatment down at Disney multiple years. And uh, it was, yeah. So they, they definitely have have reaped some of the benefits <laughs> in that regard. But yeah, it's, I, I'd say it's, it's, again, it's kind of a double-edged sword where you're like, wow, there's some challenges there. Having a parent that, you know, everyone knows who it is. That And then the battle for attention too. I'd say probably church was the most obvious where people were constantly demanding my attention and my kids were like hey i want your attention you're my dad and so that was a challenge too and 
I think I probably could have navigated that better sometimes as a parent. But yeah, it's a, yeah, it's not, you know, everyone looks at it like, oh, you guys get to do all this cool stuff. And some of that's true, but it's definitely got some challenges too. Remember the first time hearing Cutlass on the radio? You remember where you were? I, I'm trying to remember because I, I do remember we were listening to it in a car. Like it came on, we opened the doors and we we're all hanging out, just like, hey, it's on the radio. Here it is, you know. But I, I honestly can't remember where we were, where that car was parked. <laughs> I don't know if you know who Sean Groves is. He he had a number of hits, and he said uh, he he wrote a number of songs. And he said the first time I heard it, he goes, "I, I just couldn't believe they let the whole song play because he had had an intro and an outro. And back in those days, like you weren't allowed to do that, I guess." Yeah. He's like, it was pretty cool though hearing it for the first time, and I was like, "Man, that what that must be like." The pi- the pinnacle was when I was in a Chick Fil A and I heard the elevator music version of one of our songs because you know they like redo them with no actual singing it's just like yeah royalty music. rights or something i'm sure right and i was like wait a second that's our song <laughs> it's not me singing it's like a saxophone playing <laughs> but that's our song <laughs> oh, pretty awesome. that's good that's good stuff <laughs> got to ask about this question because I've been I've been memorizing this verse chapter really and it was kind of interesting I found this in my research uh, for you and maybe it's not true anymore I don't know so we'll find out Psalm 37 4 do you know what that says yeah putting you on the spot with your Bible trivia what does it say and what does it mean to you delight yourself also in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart commit your way to him and he'll bring forth your righteousness like the noonday sun and then a couple more things and then it says rest and wait patiently for him and I heard a I heard a teaching at that Friday night Bible study I talked about at John and Sharon Gilbert's house when I was in high school about that verse for me it was it was taught as kind of like this three step process of delight yourself in the Lord commit your way to him and then rest and wait patiently I feel like I've had to relearn that over and over in, in my life and I think there's a lot of times I thought I was delighting myself in the Lord and I, I wasn't. I think I was, I'm really good at the, like the commit part. Like, all right, let's get some stuff done. Give me a list of things to check off and we're going to get some stuff done. So that's because that's the way as an athlete too, right? Like that's the way, what's our workout for today? Let's go check it off and we'll be more fit and we'll, we're going to win if we do that. Like, so how do we win? We work hard now. And I, I pursued faith that way a lot too. How do I win at faith? Well, we work real hard at it. <laughs> so the delight part and the rest part are the the bookends that I'm not very good at. And those are things that I have to continually learn and relearn. And at this point in my life, again, I'd say, I'd say really focusing on the delight part because I, what does it mean to delight in the Lord? Like, what does that really mean? Like, am I delighting in him? Is, is our relationship something that's more than just deeds, <laughs> you know, things that I do? And and there's a there's a freedom that comes from that, too. And I think that's where the rest piece really comes into of like, you know, there's only so much you can do. At the end of the day, you have to just be open handed and be like, I'm in God's hands. And honestly, this, this season I'm at right now, leaving medical sales, coming back to music, there's a lot of unknowns there. And the music industry has changed a lot. And I'm like, how do I do this? different than before and is it even possible like maybe i'll be working at mcdonald's in a few months (laughs) they pay a lot now it's a lot better than it used to be when i when i was a kid you didn't make 17 dollars an hour at mcdonald's or whatever it is now uh that's that's based on experience you could get up to 21 yeah true saying you know yeah you don't have a lot of experience you haven't had a lot of like really hard jobs yeah i don't i don't have a lot of fast food experience so (laughs) i'm off to i'll have to work my way up so yeah so it's there's so many things in life that are scary and unknown and I'm just realizing more and more I tried to throttle through stuff in my life over and over and that works to a point until it doesn't and one of the one of the examples I like to look at is Rocky because we all look at Rocky as this American hero I mean I know he's a fictional character right so caveat there right but but his story is like the American story right rises from nothing becomes champion of the world overcomes all the odds and you know the music's playing I had the tiger and he's running up the stairs he's training harder than any he's not he's not the biggest guy but he's gonna win because he works harder than anybody else and we're like yeah we're all rooting for Rocky and he wins and he does and we all celebrate and we look at it but then if you watch watch like the later movies they're like he's washed up he's angry he's lonely he's bitter he's got nothing to show for it and you're like wow is that where that leads he's injured he's had you know hit his head so many times and there's just he did it all he checked off everything the american dream he did it all and, and rose to the top and then on the back end it's like for what 
because he lost it all because the people in his life along the way he sacrificed those things and those relationships for the victory and so i've kind of had this idea like when winning isn't winning anymore like you've won but you've lost and i and i still love the rocky movies like don't get me wrong but it was like when i started thinking about it it was was really eye-opening for me is at what cost like are we going to win but at what cost when you take a step back and go you know what i'm going to do my best but ultimately i'm going to be open-handed and just trust that god's going to take me where i need to go and that's i i have a control problem in that space (laughs) because i'm like yeah but i want to tell us where we're going to go and i think a lot of americans do we like to control our destiny and so to be able to step back and just go i'm going to be open-handed about this and trust god and i'm going to wake up every morning and do my best for today if today was if i knew that today was my last day on this planet what would my day look like because you know what a lot of our goals are 20 years out and we miss today you know or maybe our goal is five years out and we miss today and so i'm trying to learn how to be here present today open-handed and and it's nothing wrong with having goals or aspirations i still do that i'll put things out there that i'm like hey i want to get here let's work hard not at the expense of missing out on today and trying to force my direction to go there even when maybe it's not supposed to go there <laughs> maybe there's a different path and that's very uncharacteristic of me and so I'm, it's, a, it's been a hard lesson that I'm learning but I think there's a lot of freedom there I'm still learning that's profound it really is I, I, I love what you're saying because I think is so many times we want to think about next week we want to think about that next thing we want to think about that next adventure maybe we're going to go on but yet we sacrifice the now for the later. There was a great candy back in high school, right? Now and later's, right? Now and later. We could have it now or we could have it later. You know what I mean? And I think there's so much a spiritual element to that. We could miss out on the now because we're so focused on the later. Good stuff there. So John, how can can people find out more about you, what you're about? What's the best way for folks to connect? I want to give you an opportunity to say that. Yeah, so all the Cutlass social media is pretty easy to find. You know, facebook.com backslash Cutlass at Cutlass on Instagram. I think we just recently started a TikTok I hate TikTok, but I, apparently we, we have some guys helping us with our social media. And they're like, you need a TikTok. And I was like, okay. okay. <laughs> so uh, I'm not sure what's on our TikTok right now. <laughs> but uh, if that's your platform, we're there now. Uh, especially Facebook and Instagram, a bit more probably present there. Um, also our website, usually we post shows and stuff on there. And you can find out where we're, where we're going. We're not doing a ton of shows, but we are picking things back up a bit. So be, be looking, if see if we're coming in your area. And then I'm doing stuff solo as well. And on my Facebook page, there's like the Bands in Town stuff too. And I've been, I'll, I'll be adding, you know, solo dates there. Um, so if you're just trying to figure out where I'm going to be <laughs> as well, if you want to see a little piece of solo video. is John Micah Summerall? Yeah. That was my Cameron San Diego kind of segue. And then Spotify, Amazon Music, Apple Music, all of the streaming places you can find our music. If you haven't heard the new remakes of our old songs, twenty is the new EP of those old songs. I, I love, I love the way they turned out. It's so fun. Uh, check them out. He's beaming as he says this. By the way, it doesn't translate a lot of times in audio, but he is beaming when he says this. All right, so John, we got to wrap up the show with a fun. It's called Senseless. Now I'm sure you're fully aware we have five senses. Some have put that under debate, but we're gonna stick with five. Six is the wild card. I didn't get an Oregon State cup. I Apparently they don't, I don't know, worthy of making cups. I don't know. But this is kind of a broken vessel, as you can kind of see there. It fell off a shelf. So it literally split in half. So now it is a broken vessel for God's purpose. Was that after a game? Was that did it fall off a shelf after a game? I'm gonna move on. I don't want to talk about that. I want to talk about that. Might have been after a baseball game. Who knows? Probably could have been after a Duke game. Wow, that was hurtful, John. It's hurtful. All right, here we go. I'm gonna roll. Is that cool? I'm gonna I'm not gonna cheat. I wanna cheat, but I'm not gonna. All right, you got this one. Number one, and I know it looks like a North Carolina logo, but I promise you it's a number one because look, there's a five and there's some other numbers. But you got a number one. Yeah, this this is totally rigged. I can wow, tell. thank you. Twitter <laughs> is blowing up right now because I've been accused of cheating on my own show. But anyway, it's kind of ironic. I don't think the dice has power, by the way. It has no power. But I do think it's kind of weird how it works out sometimes because here's the question. It's, it's this for Senseless. What's something that you've seen that made you laugh, smile, and cry? I feel like that's kind of stuff we've been talking about, you know? Laugh, smile, and cry. I mean, my children. (laughs) So moments where you laugh, like... Especially. Yeah. Especially when they're teenagers. Yeah. (laughs) I have one of those too. Yeah. I mean, probably most parents are like, yep. (laughs) I would say, so I'm going to go with something a little more abstract. And I I don't know if I quite cried, but I was probably close a few times. I started getting into mountaineering a few years back. And Mount Hood was one that I looked at because I I went to college in Portland. I lived in Portland for years and it was one that I looked at every day, but it was on the do not climb list per my wife for a few years. (laughs) 
because <laughs> people kept, kept dying on it and didn't make news. And she's like, nah, you don't need to do that one. But I climbed other peaks. I climbed Mount Shasta and some of the other Cascade volcanoes. And But yeah, so anyway, she was like, she was like, you know what? I'm good with it. You can go. And I was like, awesome. And I went up with some guys. And so it had been, it just been a long time coming. But when you climb a mountain, gosh, those, it, there's something just so, it's so hard, yet so beautiful. And then to have an accomplishment like that of something that you've looked at and thought about, like, I wonder what it's like to stand on the top of that and to be there and to accomplish that. It was, it was a really powerful moment. And so definitely you guys are high-fiving. There's some tears there. So people are like, oh, we made it. And some of the other mountains were honestly more of a slog. They were probably harder. But that one just, I was on a, like, just a high from it for like a week. I was like, that was the coolest thing ever. But when you're, you know, grinding up, and, you know, or trying to get back to the car and you're just like, oh my gosh, I'm so tired. <laughs> I just want this to be over. It's pretty profound, the mix of emotions that happen when you're, on a big alpine peak and it's I, I love it it's so fun so now i'm going back and trying to ski a bunch of them off the top it's awesome <laughs> Eleven thousand two hundred forty-seven feet does that sound about right yep that's that's mount hood uh mount shasta's taller it's it's over fourteen thousand. it's 14 one we did a ski to we just ski to send mount mclaughlin that was super fun since that's right in your backyard i can see there. from my house yeah uh, we went up yeah we went up in the spring and then if you've ever hiked mount mclaughlin there's this big bowl like a steep bowl off to the right hand side of the trail and you kind of hike up this ridge and it's like the steep bowl and i remember growing up i'd go up there in the summertime and hike it and i always thought like that would be the funnest bowl to ski if there was snow on it and i was like i'd love to get up here and someday do that and so it was actually i think it was during covid <laughs> i met up with some buddies and we went up there and did it and it was incredible it was such a fantastic day we skied that east facing bowl there and it was so fun i've got some incredible pictures to from it too and it was yeah, it was awesome it was so fun we tried a number of years back. My wife and I just tried to hike it, not ski it, because we're not skiers. And it was just too daunting. Like, we didn't we didn't plan right. We didn't, like, start early enough. We we just didn't. It is on our list, though. Yeah. Because I do see it, like, every day. Like, I come home, like, you know, back and forth. Like, I see it all the time. It's yeah. Boring. It's a staple, so. Yep. Start it. Like, go camp at Four Mile Lake. Okay. It's right there. Start at, like, 7 a.m., and just grind it out. The last mile will take you longer than all of the miles previous. And it's hard. I mean, most people can do it. Uh, I should be listening to Strong Tower on my way up. I mean, you being a former distance runner, you know how to, you know how to push through a little bit of discomfort. I believe, I believe in you. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks, John. Thanks yeah. for believing in me. Yeah. Well, guys and gals, kids and campers alike, that is the end not only end of our show, but end of our season. Oh, sad faces. But don't worry. Come September, we're going to be right back here with a new season, season 12. Now, what's that going to be? Well, I'm not going to tell you quite yet, but you are going to have to get some walking shoes. I'll, I'll just leave you that tease. But before we go today, I just want to remind you of a couple of things that John said. First thing is this. Like, what's that thing still in your life? What is that thing that, that has kept you from unraveling? And, and maybe it's darkness. Maybe it's a little bit of this. Maybe it's a little bit of that. But I'm going to ask you and challenge you this next week to really sit down, get quiet, get still and find out what that is. Because I think you're going to have to kind of walk on from that in some respects and have to kind of push through that in some respects. And if you need some help, let us know. We'd love to help you. OPSpodcast.com is a great place to let us know. You can, of course, leave a connection page there, leave a voicemail there. You can also hit us up on social media at OPS Podcast Show on our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. But let me know. I, I would be just curious as a cat to know what that thing is that you're really saying, okay, this is my aglet. This is my lane. I know I'm in. Now I'm going to go walk out and be in that. Let me know, as I said. And don't forget, don't ever, ever, ever forget this. Remember, when you walk in other people's shoes, you really do get a different perspective on life. Thank you so much for listening. Stay tuned till next week when we walk in other people's shoes.